Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Well, Elizabeth Warren has announced she's running for president or at least she's exploring running for president, which, you know, functionally is the same thing as saying, yes, I'm running for president. MSNBC this morning, I wasn't channel surfing and we just had it on MSNBC while we were getting up and getting dressed and their way of covering it was showing a clip of Elizabeth Warren getting beer out of the refrigerator and speculating about whether she's enough of a Joe six pack. Isn't that brilliant? Of course, you know, it being one of the cable TV networks, we can't talk about issues. So we got to talk about whether she drinks beer. Michael Steele on MSNBC pointed out that, yeah, she uh, has already been proven on a national stage. She has taken national hits and has bounced back. My question to you is, do you think that Elizabeth Warren has what it takes to become president of the United States? I'm very excited personally by her announcement. I have long been a huge Elizabeth Warren fan. Her candidacy, probably more than anybody else's, has a chance, well, not just chance, I think it's a certainty that Bernie's going to run too. So she and Bernie are going to be slugging it out for the left end of the spectrum. In the middle, you know, among kind of the, the more corporate Democrats, you'll have Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Beto O'Rourke, you know, we'll see who else. Joe Biden, although I think you could almost put Joe Biden in more of the conservative category of Democrats. But it's an interesting one. This is really the first time since 1976 when Jimmy Carter ran for president. This is the first time since 1976 and arguably in a big way, the first time since 1964, you know, when LBJ was running for president after Kennedy was killed. This is the first time that Americans had an opportunity to actually vote for a real progressive for president. Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, good guys. They did a lot of good things, but they were very much middle-of-the-road Democrats. And, you know, just kind of fine with corporate America basically running things and everything else. And Elizabeth Warren is a genuine progressive. I've got some clips here of her opening announcement. 
She released a four-minute video, and Nate has chopped it into three little pieces here to share with you. This first one, 39-second clip, this is uh, kind of at the beginning of it, where she lays out the foundation for her run. If you work hard and play by the rules, you ought to be able to take care of yourself and the people you love. That's a fundamental promise of America, a promise that should be true for everyone. Growing up in Oklahoma, that promise came through for me and my family. After my older brothers joined the military and I was still just a kid, my daddy had a heart attack and couldn't work. My mom found a minimum wage job at Sears, and that job saved our house and our family. My daddy ended up as a janitor, but he raised a daughter who got to be a public school teacher, a law professor, and a senator. We got a real opportunity to build something. So, number one, yeah, she's like America, basically, or at least many Americans. In other words, you know, came out of a blue-collar working-class background. The prosperity of the 1950s, 60s, 70s allowed for her to get a decent education, a decent job, you know, end up a professor at wherever she was a professor. And on it goes like that. Then she gets into where we're at right now, the American nightmare, essentially, America's middle class under attack. This is from the kind of the middle part of her four-minute video declaring the possibility of her candidacy. America's middle class is under attack. Billionaires and big corporations decided they wanted more of the pie, and they enlisted politicians to cut them a fatter slice. They crippled unions so no one could stop we're them. We're going to turn the bull loose dismantled the financial rules meant to keep us safe after the Great Depression and cut their own taxes so they paid less than their secretaries and janitors. Corruption is poisoning our democracy. Politicians look the other way while big insurance companies deny patients life-saving coverage, while big banks rip off consumers, and while big oil companies destroy this planet. Our government's supposed to work for all of us, but instead, it has become a tool for the wealthy and well-connected. Now, that is the clip that you would think that a cable news network would want to run to say, yeah, you know, they destroyed the unions, they went after the average working person. They, But no, the networks have no interest in talking about issues. I guarantee you there will be no discussion of issues as we go into this campaign, just as there was no discussion of issues in the 2018 campaign, just as there was no discussion of issues on the cable networks in the 2016 campaign, there won't be in this one. And that, I think, works to the disadvantage of genuine progressives like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Anyhow, we'll see how this shakes out. But that's the clip that should have been on every television screen in America and never will be in all probability. Here's the end part of Elizabeth Warren's vision for the future. And again, my question to you is, do you think, A, that she has a good chance to win the Democratic nomination? And B, if she does, does she have a good chance to beat, I'm guessing it's going to be Mike Pence. I'm guessing that Donald Trump is going to bow out, but we'll see, Trump or Pence in 2020. And also, who do you think, if she is the nominee, she should pick as her uh, running mate? Anyhow, here's her closing pitch. And again, this is something that the networks, I think, in my opinion, frankly, would never play. Here it is. We can make our democracy work for all of us. We can make our economy work for all of us. We can rebuild America's middle class. But this time, we got to build it for everyone, no matter where you live in America. 
And no matter where your family came from in the world, you deserve a path to opportunity. Because no matter what our differences, most of us want the same thing, to be able to work hard, play by the same set of rules, and take care of the people we love. That's the America I'm fighting for. And that's why today I'm launching an exploratory committee for president. But the outcome of this election will depend on you. If we organize together, if we fight together, if we persist together, we can win. We can and we will. Meanwhile, the marketplace, as it were, is just handing arguments to Elizabeth Warren. The Wall Street Journal reports that more than three dozen drug makers raised the prices of hundreds of medications in the U.S. on Tuesday, most of them on generics. Most of the generic companies, you know, generic drugs are supposed to compete with brand name drugs because it's the same drug, only it's, you know, at a lower price. Well, the big brand name companies have been buying up all the generic companies and then jacking the prices up. So they're essentially competing with themselves. So this is the kind of stuff that Elizabeth Warren is all about. The New York Times, Ashted Herndon and Alexander Burns, noting that Elizabeth Warren is heading to Iowa. This next week, she's going to be in Des Moines, Council Bluffs, Storm City, and Sioux Falls. Iowa, of course, has the first in the nation uh, Democratic caucuses in February of next year. So we're a year, we're 13 months out from the caucuses. But this is the note that they make, and I think it's a really important one. The party has no single leader, the Democratic Party. No obvious front runner. Now, I would argue that Bernie is the obvious front runner. Uh, I know that others would argue that Joe Biden is the obvious front runner. I think you know both of them are fairly obvious front runners, but because Bernie nearly took down Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden was vice president for eight years and has run for president like I don't know how many times. Anyhow, they continue, there is no broadly unifying ideology. And I think that's the key to the whole thing is this is the moment when the Democratic Party decides whether it's a party that is progressive or whether it's just another political party in the bag, in the pockets of billionaires and big corporations. And they note that as the Democratic Party has no broadly unifying ideology as it moves away from a quarter century of dominance by the Clintons and Barack Obama, who, you know, essentially have become modern-day royalty and very, very wealthy based on having been in the presidency and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, you know, where is this going to go? What, how do you think this is going to shake out? And what happens next? John in Minneapolis. Hey, John, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up? Yeah, I just wanted to say I think she'd make an excellent candidate. I think her, along with maybe Beta O'Rourke or one of the young women like Rahida Talib or Casio uh, cortez would be bringing the younger generation. I think she knows a lot about regulations, which is a good portion of what is wrong with our government and what we could do about it. And then the other person would bring in maybe the Green New Deal. She really knows about corruption and the, I would call it now, the cannibalized economy that is pushed by Wall Street, where we have gentrification and housing. We spend billions and trillions unaccounted for by the military-industrial complex. And then we also have a lot of waste and fraud in health care. She would be excellent. I'm all for it.
Yeah. I'm really psyched up about that, yes. I'm with you, John. The thing that's amazing is that she actually raised more money in the 2018. She and Bernie were both up for re-election, he in Vermont, her in Massachusetts as senators. And uh, she raised more money from small donations than Bernie did. I mean, it was a smaller yeah. percentage overall of her fundraising, but it was a larger actual amount of money. She raised $10 million more than Bernie did. And, you know, unfortunately, the ability to raise money is like one of the most important criteria to being a successful well, yeah, candidate for president. But we have this whole new mechanism which has really democratized the process, and that is small donations and reaching out to people that way. And it's been a win for a lot of different candidates. Yeah. And there's a lot of idealism that's going on also, that you know combination with that, and people are really energized by the whole thing. So... I think, yeah, she's a good candidate, but there's a lot of good candidates. But I think that we need to focus on one person. I'm all for it. I think she would work, and I would work for her like 12-hour days for at least a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. I'm inclined to say the same, although I'm not going to endorse a candidate in the primary this yeah. time around. I did last time, but there was obvious reasons why I did that. A whole bunch of them, actually. But if Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders were both on the ballot, in the Democratic primary. Do you have a sense right now, John, which one you'd be choosing? Or is there anybody else that could knock out, in your mind, these two serious, genuine, solid, unimpeachable progressives? Well, I, I'm a bad person to ask for that because I, I really don't have a good feel for how other people think, but I, I want a progressive. I, I think we need that kind of uh, politics. Uh, because we have existential threats to our, you know, throughout the whole world. There And there's a coming together of people on the other side of globalization, like Yanis Farrenkamp, uh, I can't remember his name. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, enough, but, you know, we, we really need to move. Yeah, uh, I agree. You know. John, thanks for the call. Spot on on all points. We'll see where this goes. Hey, you know, you're going to start hearing nonstop weight loss commercials everywhere. And every time you do, I want you to think about Riduzone. It's the only weight loss product I endorse and the one that worked for my wife. Louise wanted to lose a little weight last summer. She read about university research and how one molecule helps regulate appetite. Riduzone is designed to boost levels of that one molecule and your metabolism, too, so you stop craving the wrong foods like too many holiday sweets and you burn calories faster. With her appetite and cravings under control, she said losing weight was easy. She has more energy on her hikes, and she looks amazing. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough, get the only weight loss product I endorse, non-prescription, FDA-accepted Riduzone. While supplies last, to use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive 30% off a pack of three bottles plus free shipping. Go to Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. Riduzone.com. Use the promo code TOM. Riduzone.com. Our book today is Playing with Fire, the 1968 Election and the Transformation of American Politics by Lawrence O'Donnell. The first chapter, Seizing the Moment, it starts in 1968. Richard Nixon was in a makeup chair when he met Roger Ailes. Maybe it was the makeup chair that set Ailes off. He was looking at the man who might have been president right now if he had just sat in the makeup chair CBS offered him in Chicago before the first televised presidential debate in American history. 
Nixon had ignored the network's makeup artist and used a drugstore product called Lazy Shave to cover his heavy five o'clock shadow. Nixon once said, I can shave within 30 seconds before I go on television and still have a beard. The day after the debate, the Chicago Daily News ran the headline, Was Nixon Sabotaged by TV Makeup Artist? Uh, Richard Daly, the all-powerful Democratic mayor of Chicago, said, My God, they've embalmed him even before he died. Nixon lost the election to John F. Kennedy by two-tenths of one percent of the vote, 49.7 percent to 49.5 percent. In an election that close, every mistake matters. A mistake like not getting the makeup right was the kind of thing that infuriated Roger Ailes. Now, seven years later, Ailes was meeting Nixon for the first time in the makeup room of The Mike Douglas Show. At age 26, Ailes looked like an assistant, but he was the boss, the executive producer of the show. And Nixon was once again a presidential candidate in what was beginning to look like a crowded field covering the 1968 Republican nomination. Ailes wanted Nixon to be president, and he knew the most powerful force blocking Nixon's path to the White House was television. To win the White House in the 1960s, you had to understand and respect the power of television. Ailes also knew that one of Nixon's potential rivals for the Republican nomination understood everything about television, Ronald Reagan, the former film and TV actor. Ailes wondered what Nixon had learned about TV since the makeup disaster of the 1960 campaign. Sitting in the makeup chair, Nixon offhandedly mentioned to Ailes how silly it felt to try to reach voters by appearing on an afternoon talk show like this one instead of a news show like Meet the Press. The Mike Douglas show is targeted at housewives and usually populated by B-list showbiz celebrities. In response, Ailes instantly rattled off a list of every bad move Nixon had ever made on TV, and it was a long list. Ailes was a teenager when he'd seen some of these things. This was not the way people talked to former Vice President Richard Milhouse Nixon. There was none of the deference Nixon had become accustomed to over the decades, and Nixon loved it. Nixon made Ailes an offer he couldn't refuse. Instead of trying to make Mike Douglas America's biggest afternoon TV star, make Richard Nixon America's next president. With Ailes on the media team, the Nixon campaign was ready to make the move from being the worst TV campaign to the best. We're going to build this whole campaign around television, Nixon told his media team. You boys just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Roger Ailes' career in Republican politics, which included every day he ran Fox News, turned out to be longer than Richard Nixon's. Ailes became more influential in Republican politics than Nixon ever was. We have reason to wonder who would be president today if Richard Nixon had not provoked Roger Ailes in the Mike Douglas Show makeup room. Such are the seeds that were planted in American politics in the 1968 presidential campaign. Run, Bobby, run is the subhead for the next part of this. Bobby was a natural on television. In 1967, he was the only potential presidential candidate who could charm a TV audience just by being himself. All he needed was his smile. Bobby was the Elvis of American politics, the only politician who didn't need a last name to identify him. But his last name was everything. It was Bobby Kennedy's last name that made every potential candidate fear him. As the field of candidates began to take shape in 1967, every campaign calculation depended on Bobby, even when he showed no signs of wanting to run, even when he told people he wasn't going to run. President Lyndon Baines Johnson feared Bobby to the point of obsession. Johnson thought Bobby was the only one who could do the unthinkable, challenge the incumbent president's grip on the Democratic nomination. Johnson was sure that Bobby was the only Democrat who might dare run against him. He was wrong. Nixon feared Bobby, too, as did every Republican planning a campaign. Nixon knew exactly what to fear. He had lost to a Kennedy before. Losing to a Kennedy meant losing to the Kennedy political machine, and it meant losing it to the Kennedy style.
a political machine can be beaten by a better political machine, though Nixon had never seen a better political machine than the Kennedys. Kennedy's style was something else. Nixon knew there was nothing Ailes could do for his image that could compete with Kennedy's style. Nixon couldn't change his sharply receding hairline. At 54, he was too old to do anything but tamp down his short, dark hair as flat as possible on his head. Bobby's hair had grown longer every year of the 1960s. Now at 42, he had the shaggiest hair in the United States Senate. His little brother Ted was the only other senator with a full head of hair. Bobby's hair was beginning to grow over his ears, rock musician length for the Senate then. And everywhere Bobby spoke outside the Senate chamber, he was treated like a rock star. That's what Nixon and Johnson feared most about Bobby, the way the crowds responded to him. They'd never seen anything like it in politics. Nixon and Johnson were both old enough to remember the first time anyone saw fans screaming and swooning for Frank Sinatra in the 1940s before, during, and after every song Sinatra sang. America saw an even more intense version of that fan reaction when the Beatles landed in the United States in 1964. And now Nixon and Johnson saw a version of it happening to Bobby. Everywhere Bobby went, crowds worked themselves into frenzies. When he spoke, he didn't sound like any senator they'd heard before. His voice wasn't stiff and self-conscious. The book Playing With Fire by Lawrence O'Donnell. Connie Schultz is uh, Sherrod Brown's wife, and Politico did an article about Elizabeth Warren, and Politico is apparently following in the footsteps of cable TV news, and that is, don't ever talk about issues, just talk about personality and horse race. And so the headline that Politico tweeted out was, how does Elizabeth Warren avoid a Clinton redux? written off as too unlikable before her campaign gets off the ground. Unlikable. This was Politico's take on it. And Connie Schultz, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter and the wife of Senator Sherrod Brown, himself a progressive that I would support in a heartbeat running for president of the United States. And he may well be in the race. Connie Schultz tweets out, we could start... And in response to Politico, she retweets the Political article and says, we could start by treating women as candidates for president, not homecoming queen. Isn't she likable? Come on. Daniel in Manchester, New Hampshire. I was actually listening to NPR this morning, and they said that they're considering moving New Hampshire's primary up to, I believe, February. Yeah. And uh, there was another large state that was uh, thinking about moving up, too, and I don't know if they did or not. But anyhow, your thoughts on Elizabeth Warren? So she's kind of the bridge between the standard Democrat and the Bernie Sanders wing of the party. She's the good middle of the road from the middle to the left. Yeah. Bernie is viewed as, you know, kind of this lefty ideologue ever since he was a kid, which kind of cuts both ways. On the one hand, I mean, there's that iconic picture of him at the age of 19 having chained himself to a black woman to outside. a black lady, yes, sir. Yeah. How do you establish your cred better than that? I, you just don't. I mean, you know, it's, 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 uh, I, and on the other hand, you've got some people who in the Democratic Party who are concerned that ideology may make it difficult for Bernie to be sufficiently pragmatic to get things done, that it's going to be my way or the highway. It's got to be right or it can't be at all. I don't think that that's crazy? true, frankly. The, the radical idea is that, you know, one person should be beneath another. Yeah, exactly. And, and, yeah, and, I, and that's not my critique of Bernie, by the way. I, I'm still a Bernie fan, and I would vote for Bernie in a heartbeat if he was the nominee. But I think that said that right now we've got a really interesting field of candidates and a lot of options for, for you know, actual progressives to, to pick from. 
So what's your sense of uh, New Hampshire's response? I mean, you're the state right next to Massachusetts where, where, where Elizabeth Warren is from. You know, I wish I could give you hope in that. We went a little bit more progressive in terms of local state races, but mm-hmm. uh, we still have Governor Sununu, and, you know, we, we still have some deep red roots here, I'm afraid. Yeah, so you've got a Republican governor now, still. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. he still, yeah, yeah, the second yeah. term, I believe. This is John Sununu's son, as I recall. Yes, sir. Wow, yeah, because Sununu was the governor, I think, when Louise and I lived there back in the 80s. Well, Daniel, we'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out. And thanks a lot for uh, the call. From, yeah, yeah, indeed. And hope all is well in Manchester, New Hampshire. Thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you. John in Cumberland, Maryland. Hey, John, what's on your mind? Hey, how are you, Tom? Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you, too. Listen, I'm going to address your question. Will Elizabeth Warren be our next president? And, you know, I've got to say no, and it, and it breaks my heart. You know, when her name comes up on MSNBC, everybody snickers. Uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren, you know, appeals to people like me. You know, like I, I, I got my undergraduate degree at Tufts University. You know, John, you know, they I'm, snickered about Bernie, too. Yeah, In I fact, know, they ignored him for a whole year. But, you know, I, you know I'm Boston Irish, uh, you know, uh, by origin, even though I'm living in Western Maryland now after a career with NASA. But, uh, you know, my cousins hate her. You know, it's it's just horrible. They're, first of all, they're going to try to tar her with the same brush as Hillary Clinton, who, you know, is a neocon and a neoliberal. Elizabeth Warren is not. But they're going to try to make that connection, which is which is just criminal. I, I'd like to give you a quote, if I may. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this short. I'm going to give you a quote um, from John Steinbeck. And uh, I think this is I think this is the biggest problem that people like Elizabeth Warren, you know, who would be a great president have. And that is the reason socialism cannot take root in the U.S. is that too much of the working class regard themselves as temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Yep. Yeah. And it's a great quote. Uh, You know, I, I, I agree broadly, John. But that said, I'm not so confident that the that the corporate media really has the control that they think they have and you know like i said they 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 dissed bernie they laughed at bernie uh they laughed at donald trump i don't think that this is a a predetermined thing but you know we'll see you know i hope you're wrong john vivian in albuquerque new mexico listening 1350 a.m vivian what's up Oh, I just want to say I'm thrilled that Elizabeth Warren is running. It's time that we have a woman and a smart woman as president. And I think she's feisty. I think she'll stand up to Trump or Pence. And I'm just absolutely delighted. I hope she is our next president. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I agree. Thank you, Vivian. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jared, what's on your mind today? Hello, Tom. Hey, Jared. I want to talk about the uh, 2020 Democratic nominees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Elizabeth Warren would be an okay presidential nominee, along with Bernie Sanders. Here's the thing. Whoever the Democratic nominee is, they need to pick whoever the person who came second in nomination process as their VP. Because here's why. We, we don't want to have a divided party. You know what I'm saying? We don't want to have a ticket that is divided but what if the person who comes in sec- what if the person who comes in first is a solid progressive and the person who comes in second is a corporate dem or vice versa I mean, typically, what you're describing, Jared, has almost never happened. And the reason why, the reason why Jack Kennedy picked, for example, Lyndon Johnson was he needed the South. 
Basically, it's, it's that you strategically choose your vice presidential candidate to bring you regions of the country or demographics that you wouldn't otherwise have. It's why Barack Obama chose Joe Biden. Barack Obama was seen as the outsider, as the, as the kind of radical new guy who was running on hope and change. He, his, his campaign suggested that he was going to govern as a real progressive, but he had to reassure the corporate the Democrats that he wasn't Bernie Sanders. And so the way he did that was by putting Joe Biden on the ticket. I think the reason why I suggest just picking whoever came in second simply so we don't have a repeat of 2016 when um, a lot of people just stayed home because, you know, Hillary Clinton didn't pick, yeah. you know, Bernie Sanders as the nominee. Or Elizabeth Warren. Uh, I thought that a Clinton-Warren ticket would just be gangbusters. And I, and I, I continue to believe that, it, you know, even though people say, whoa, two women, uh, you know, the same people, you know, eight years earlier were saying a black guy whose middle name is Hussein. Come on, it's possible in America. It's 2019. Um, but yeah, Jared, I get your point. And, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. We'll just have to see how it shakes out. Thanks a lot for the call. Dave in St. Paul, Minnesota, or Nebraska, excuse me. Uh, Dave in St. Paul, Nebraska. What's up? Uh, hi, Tom. Hey, Dave. I'm concerned about the battling of Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. And Sherrod Brown, really actually. I think the three of them are the top competitors for who's a real progressive. Yeah, I hate to see that, that argument go on about who's the most progressive and have... No, I'm not saying who's the most progressive. I, th I think of the three, clearly Bernie's the most progressive. But, you know, the question is, there's basically the, two factions in the Democratic Party, and maybe a third if you include Michael Bloomberg. The first are the genuine progressives, people who have a genuine, solid background that yeah. nobody can dispute. That's Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Sherrod Brown. Then you've got the... Sort of progressive, you know, certainly socially progressive, but still willing to work with big corporations and don't want to really shake the system up too much. You know, the Cory Bookers, the Kamala Harris's, the Beto O'Rourke's. And then you've got Michael Bloomberg and maybe a few other right wingers, you know, billionaires or whatever, who are going to come in and try to represent the conservative wing of the party. Back to you, Dave. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Like the previous caller, um, really think we would be stronger if they would more united rather than uh, being pitted against each other and have to but the fact of the matter is dave party. that in a primary you have people competing with each other there's no way around yeah. that at yeah. some point we're all going to have to decide and you know state by state caucus by caucus election by election primary by primary we're going to decide who's going to be the democratic nominee and the opening bell of that was elizabeth warren's announcement uh, you know i think in a big way and you know we'll see where it goes you're listening to Tom Hartman. Here's a New Year's resolution that's easy to keep. Make 2019 your most comfortable and productive year ever by getting yourself an X chair. I used to constantly feel uncomfortable throughout the workday until I realized I was spending thousands of hours sitting in the wrong chair. So follow my example and ditch that no-name superstore chair and trade up to the X chair. I've been raving about how much I love my X chair for, geez, years. Well, if you're on the fence about buying one, here's great news. Now you can finance the purchase of your X chair for as little as $30 a month. When you sit in it, you'll understand why I love my X chair so much. X chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to X chair Tom. That's T-H-O xchairtom.com now that's xchairtom.com t-h-o-m or call 1-844-4x-chair x-chair comes with a 30-day no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction go to xchairtom.com now and use the code tom t-h-o-m to get a free footrest 
xchairtom.com. Elizabeth Warren also came out and said that she supports the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal moves the United States to 100% electric in 10 years. How do you do that? Well, here's a tip. This is from Norway. And uh, this is uh, from Reuters by Camilla Knudsen and Alistair Doyle. In a bid to cut carbon emissions and air pollution, Norway exempts battery-driven cars from most taxes and offers benefits such as free parking and charging points to hasten the shift from diesel and petrol engines. So last year, 2018, electric cars represented almost a third of all cars sold in Norway, 31%. The year before that, 2017, it was 20%. And back in 2013, it was only 5%. So it's exploded. And they fully believe, the Norwegian Electric Vehicle Association, believes that next year, this year, 2019, it's going to be 75% of their market. This is the impact of policy. This is why I keep saying, you can live simply and walk to work. I mean, I do that. By the way, I'm just amazed having a plug-in hybrid. The Prius, the plug-in part, you know, it only drives me about 30 miles, which is basically a gallon of gasoline. And a it takes five hours overnight to charge. But four out of five, maybe even eight out of nine trips that Louise and I take are 100% electric because we typically don't drive more than 30 miles round trip. And so, uh, you know, so we're averaging, I think, 116 miles per gallon right now uh, compared with, uh, and, and plus we've got cheap electricity because it's powered by the Bonneville Dam. It's hydropower and the local utility offers you a super cheap rate if you charge overnight. It's incredible. We should all be doing this. I mean, but anyhow, Elizabeth Warren has come out in support of this. Gran in New York City. Hey, Gran, what's up? Hi, uh, Glenn. Uh, Glenn, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. This uh, making the post office pay way, way, way into the future. Isn't that, they have to put that money somewhere? Aren't they using that to run the government in lieu of higher taxes? Yeah, the, the, the $5 billion a year that the post office has to set aside for retiree health benefits 75 years from now, people who are not even born yet, that money is being invested in treasuries, so it, it is uh, stored in the national debt. Yeah, so it's used to run the government. That's right. just a sneaky way of, uh, of the Republicans uh, using the post office instead of paying higher taxes. Arguably, yeah. I think the main the main goal, if you if you go back to 2005 and just start looking through the newspaper headlines, and I you know I was doing this show at the time, which is why I remember this. Uh, we started this show in 2003, and and in 2005 the post office was riding high. They had a they had a solid positive budget. They were making money. Uh, they they uh, they had a surplus, in fact, and they announced that they were. Uh, I I don't recall if they were actually going to pull the trigger and do it or if they were just, you know, in the in the process of doing some sort of a really uh, deep dive into the viability, the feasibility of it. But they announced that uh, being the the owners of the largest vehicle private, uh, the largest vehicle fleet in the United States, that's the post office, all those little postal trucks that go around deliver the mail every day, being the owners of the largest, uh, the largest uh, postal or the largest vehicle fleet in the United States, the post office was going to make all of their vehicles electric. 
and or the vast majority of them. I guess in some rural areas, electric wasn't yet practical, but uh, they were going to shift over to electric vehicles. And this would have jump-started the entire electric vehicle industry. So the fossil fuel billionaires and their buddies got together with members of Congress and said, got to put a stop to this right now. And the way they did it was bleeding the money out of the post office. So how do you bleed money out of the post office? Um, what they came up with is, uh, okay, the only way we can think of to bleed the money is to force the post office to take $5 billion a year, a massive amount of, of money from their budget, take $5 billion a year and, and buy treasuries with it. Just st stick it aside for 75 years. Don't use it for anything. And that's exactly what the Republicans did. And, and it, it's, it's still, every year they have to set aside $5 billion to pay for the, the retirement benefits of people 75 years from now. It is nuts. This was pure and simple an effort to, well, actually, the, the other, uh, pure and simple an effort to, to destroy the, the electric vehicle piece. But they're, they're, they did have an ally on that. And that ally was the private uh, delivery services, UPS, FedEx, uh, who were gung-ho for this, too, because they view the post office as competition. And, and uh, you know, it's just, this is just so wrong. Howard in Indiana. Hey, Howard, what's on your mind today? Uh, talking about health care, I heard you mention it earlier, and I know it's been talked about before on your uh, program. The real crux of the thing is our government, uh, we're trying to figure out ways to manage and pay for health care or health care for all, but I very rarely hear anyone step up and say, well, instead of health care, let's pay for like a wellness care. What can we do for people to enhance their health so they won't be going to the doctor or the hospital so much? Yeah, I would say number one, Howard, is a national health care program. Um, you know, Louise and I went to a, uh, a local chain restaurant shall we say over the over the holiday weekend for breakfast one morning and it was astonishing the the, the you know the the food on the first of all the portions were huge secondly the 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 food was kind of crappy and third as you checked out there was all this all i mean just literally a wall of candy and uh, it all had high fructose corn syrup which we know causes uh, obesity and fatty liver disease and it occurred in our conversation as we were walking home, it was like, you know, well, what do we do about this? How do, how do you wake people up? And, and the consensus that we uh, arrived at, and I think that this is a good one, is if we had a national health care system so that the obesity epidemic in the United States, which is, I think, to a large extent being caused by the food that is being shoveled at us, you know, we didn't we didn't have this situation 40 years ago. It's not like our genetics changed in 40 years. This is this is fuel in fuel. You know, this is the result. The, if we had a national health care system where we were all paying the, the for the cost of uh, obesity associated diseases like and this is just one example, by the way, I think you could say the same thing about cancer and all the carcinogens in our food, uh, you know, celiac and the, and the problems associated with Roundup. But in the case of obesity, um, if we were all paying for that diabetes, if we were all paying for that heart disease, if we were all paying for that fatty liver disease, and, and by the way, cirrhosis is most, one of the most rapidly growing diseases in the United States right now, cirrhosis of the liver, non-alcoholic, it's caused by obesity, that if we were all paying for that, that we would have different government policies. We would be saying to restaurants, you know, like the, that Cracker Barrel where we went for breakfast, you know, you really should label this stuff as poison, you know, or as bad for you. Um, you know, we would we would change our policies. So, Howard, in answer to your question, I think that the, the simple, straightforward answer is Medicare for all.
Harry Reid points out, this is in an interview, Harry is uh, 79 years old and he's dying from pancreatic cancer right now. Certainly someone to keep in your thoughts or prayers. In talking about Donald Trump, he says, Trump is an interesting person. He is not immoral. He is amoral. Amoral, Harry Reid says, is when you shoot someone in the head and it doesn't make a difference. You have no conscience. He goes on to say, I think without question, he's the worst president we've ever had. We've had some bad ones, but there's not even a close second to him. He'll lie. He'll cheat. You can't reason with him. So do you think that Donald Trump is immoral or amoral? Does he know that it's wrong to sleep with porn stars and Playboy bunnies when your wife just gave birth? Does he, and by the way, Elizabeth, why I mentioned earlier, Elizabeth Warren, you know, wherever she teaches, she teaches at Harvard. So just for the record. So anyhow, is it wrong? Does Donald Trump know that it's wrong to sleep with these women or does he simply not understand right from wrong and therefore thinks he can get away with anything? Does he feel shame or guilt or does he merely understand the norms of society? This is how high functioning sociopaths operate. They understand what people expect of them. They understand what the standards of society are. They can even act contrite and embarrassed, and all, although they're not feeling any of those things. What they're actually feeling is <laughs> that they're getting away with something. So is Trump merely immoral or is he fully amoral? Because amoral means he's a full functioning sociopath. I believe the latter. I believe that we have a man in the White House right now who is a high-functioning sociopath. And I think that the rest of the world is figuring that out. And, you know, over the weekend, President Xi in China said that the ultimate goal of China's policies is to end the experiment of democracy and home rule in Taiwan, to merge Taiwan back into China. It's got a lot of people in Taiwan gulping. This could be the beginning of World War III. Do you want a sociopath in the White House if it happens? The flashpoints in the Middle East. Are these the kind of times when it's uniquely dangerous to have a sociopath in the White House? Or is it always dangerous? And do you think that maybe he's just immoral? Maybe he's just a bad guy who revels in his badness. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Scott in Missoula, Montana. Hey, Scott, what's up? Hey, hey, Tom, I wanted to talk about Trump and the issue of his pathology or psychopathy. I believe he is amoral and he is he exhibits all the signs of a true psychopath, which are prevalent in our society and represented in a small percentage of it. But they're overrepresented in uh, positions of authority in both corporations and in government because they're willing to do what it takes to win. Yeah, that's what it's all about for these guys. And Trump. You know, he'll tell you that's all. He's a winner, right? Yep. Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. And, I, and I, I agree with your assessment. I think that Donald Trump is a psychopath. And that that is a dangerous thing for America. But, yeah, I was spot on, Scott. I, I completely agree. Haji in Frederick, Maryland, you wanted to weigh in on the Donald Trump morality tale here? Yeah, he's absolutely amoral. He knows what's wrong, but he still tries to get away with doing wrong. Yeah. And he's been rewarded for that his entire life, until now. And, Which is a shame. Yeah, so I guess the question is, has the train run out? I mean, you know, is this, is this the end of it? We'll find out. Haji, thank you for the call. Lawrence in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Lawrence, thanks for listening to AM 950. What's up? 
Hey, um, yeah, I was going to talk about Elizabeth Warren, but I'll just quickly go into this thing about Donald Trump, mm-hmm. Trump's amorality. If, if we accuse him of being amoral, we'll actually have to accuse most people like him of being the same. I'll give you an example. Because he's been so protected, so cocooned by white privilege that he doesn't understand what's wrong, what's detrimental to somebody else. And by the privilege of wealth, Lawrence, as well. Yes, by the privilege of of wealth as well. I'll give you an example of the uh, young lady that just killed an entire family. She was text messaging while the school bus was at a stop, and she just ran right through the, the stop sign. She had no clue what was right or wrong. Oh, she, she was so protected by privilege and by being in that rich society that she never experienced it. And she doesn't even know that she had to stop at a stop sign. That was her conclusion. Here's another example of the recent cruise ship death, people dying on cruise ship. They've all been a certain age, from 20 to 27 years old. And I guarantee you by studying that, you will find that they are the most privileged ones and they have no no distinction between what's right and wrong and what's dangerous or not dangerous so therefore they take chances like that and that's the same with donald trump you would have to say that everybody like him who's been privileged to wealth and white privilege that they are immoral so we just can't do that so what we really have to do is analyze and try to break down and understand their privilege and try to counteract that privilege. And that's how we deal with with um, the question of his amoral or immorality, for, yeah. for, per se. Well, I think th- those are all good and important points, Lawrence. I'm not certain that privilege leads to sociopathy, though. I mean, if that's the argument oh. you're making, and also 20 to 29, are, that's peak drinking era. And certainly people who are blinded by their privilege are going to be even probably more blinded by alcohol on top of that. So those things compound each other. I, I get that. But, right. um, I, you know, I've often wondered about this because there's no, there isn't a good body of science on the prevalence of sociopathy in our society. Is it associated with class? And if it's associated with race, it's almost certainly a function of class or a function of, you know, uh, privilege versus um, institutional racism, you know, being kept down. But I, I, I think that we need to separate those two things and look at them separately. Privilege is an right, issue right. in and of itself, but so is sociopathy. Right. No, I, I agree. I, and I, I think that's the point I was making. Okay. Let's draw a distinction between what is amoral and, and how a particular individual has been affected by his uh, socioeconomical environments. Right. So in in Trump, we've got the perfect storm. You've got a guy who was raised with both white privilege and wealth privilege, and so was from the get-go blinded to the consequences of many of his actions. And then you layer that with his being a sociopath or a psychopath, so he doesn't care what the consequences of his actions are. And, you know, it's the perfect storm, and that's what's sitting in the White House right now. Scary thought. Wow. Um, This is where... The two thoughts, your thoughts and, and my thoughts, that's where they that's where they merge, man. That's the and intersection. What, yeah, I just want to reiterate to your, all your listeners what you just said. The danger here is that we got this guy that controls everything sitting in the most highest office. And if we don't have grounds for impeachment, we have to do it now. And, you know, 
I won't take up any more of your time. Yeah. Thanks. No, you said it. You said it well, Lawrence. And this is why you know I think that Mitt Romney. I mean, you've got guys who are right wing crazies who are steeped in white privilege and power privilege, like Mitt Romney, but probably not a psychopath. And and Thomas Friedman, who's a billionaire, but probably not a psychopath. And they're openly calling Donald Trump basically a psychopath and saying, you've got to get rid of this guy. Spot on. Lawrence, thanks for the call. We'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. So do you think it's even possible that the news networks are ever going to talk about Elizabeth Warren's issues, policies? If your New Year's resolutions include taking better care of yourself and being smarter with your finances, Harry's has you covered. Plus, you'll get a great shave in the bargain. Esquire magazine was so impressed, they awarded Harry's their 2018 Grooming Award. Harry's smooth, comfortable glide and close shave will have you hooked in no time. I won't shave with anything but Harry's. Harry's wants to help you start the new year off right. New customers get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and travel cover for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just use Tom, T-H-O-M, at Harry's. Harry's replacement cartridges are just $2 each, and if you don't love your shave, you'll get a full refund from Harry's. For a limited time only, Harry's has a special offer for listeners to this program. New customers get $5 off a trial set from Harry's with the code TOM, T-H-O-M, at harrys.com. That means you get a razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and travel cover, all for just 3 bucks, plus free shipping when you use the code TOM at Harry's. Join the millions who've already switched and get on over to harrys.com today and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, at checkout to claim your offer. Tom Harmon here with you. On the line with us, our old friend Patty Lavera. She is the assistant director of Food and Water Watch. Uh, foodandwaterwatch.org is the website, and you can tweet her at food and, it's spelled A N D, food and water. Patty, welcome back to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. So, you guys are out there calling out the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture, the USDA. How has Trump put his mark? And I shouldn't just say Trump. I mean, this is just a Republican thing. As Mitt Romney pointed out in the Washington Post today, everything Trump is doing policy-wise is exactly what the Republicans all love. So I guess I should say, what, what has the Republican imprint on the USDA wrought? Oh, boy. Well, <laughs> that's a long list. Um, there's, there's changes to the way the agency is actually running. Uh, so there's a proposal to take a couple key divisions of USDA that do things like research and on economics and things like that and move them out of Washington, D.C., which essentially moves them out of the decision making. Um, there's, you know, a proposal that they we, you know, we went through this long process for several years to try to get a farm bill done. And one of the, the sticking points was what is the program that provides a safety net for hungry people? SNAP, right, which is, used to be called food stamps. So we got through a farm bill without really doing too much damage to that program. And just days later, the USDA announced they're going to make it harder for states to provide flexibility for folks to basically impose more work requirements so you can get that safety net benefit. So, you know, cr- kind of across the board, they're, they're executing that kind of, um, you know, whether it's more hostile to regulations that might protect farmers or more hostile to low-income folks who need those protections, it's kind of what you would expect. But the uh, most egregious one, it seems, is this labeling rule on GMOs. Right, and they had some help with that. This isn't all that new. This some of this predates the Trump administration, but they've carried on the tradition. So right before uh, Christmas, we got a final rule from the USDA about how they're going to implement something that Congress passed 
two years ago uh, in 2016 about how to label genetically engineered foods. And so the law that Congress passed back you know, two years ago, we weren't happy with. I talked to you a bunch of times um, because we didn't need it. We didn't have a problem. We had Vermont had gone first and passed a really good law that was going to give consumers information on their food. And the biotech industry and the processed food industry came to Washington and said, we can't have this good state law. Congress, you have to block it. And that's what that law did. And so they said, you know, states can't do this. We're going to have the federal government do it. USDA will write these rules. And we finally got the rules. And not surprisingly, they're not very good. Well, it wasn't, wasn't, correct me if I'm wrong. This is just from memory here. But my recollection was that when Vermont said, okay, you have to say in plain English on the front of the label, you know, whether this product contains genetically modified organisms or not. And the USDA came along and said, or the Republicans came along and said, I guess in Congress, and said, yes, we need to inform the public. The public wants to know. So we're going to put it in a QV, QR code or whatever it's called. So there's this little, you know, barcode or a little square block with funny little black squiggles in it that if you put that on a scanner, it will tell you whether there's a GMO in there, but there's no way you can look at the label and actually know it unless you happen to be a computer. Do I have that right? Yeah, there's going to be scenarios that that's what people get. So there's a bunch of problems uh, with the rule that we just got that, and some of those problems were baked into the law that Congress passed. One of them is the definition of what requires a label is a lot weaker weaker than what Vermont did. Mm -hmm. And then even if you get to the point where the labeling is required, they gave companies options. So they can put it on the package with words, but they don't have to be. They could use one of those other options which includes what they call a digital scannable code, which is this QR code, which you have to have a cell phone, you have to have a smartphone, you have to have a signal, and you have to have the app that lets you read that code, which is not a label. A label is words on a package that I can use with my eyes and my hand and flip it over and read the words. Um, And so, you know, it really excludes a lot of people, and it's not labeling. Yeah, this is like the Republicans saying, uh, yeah, people want uh, choice in education, so let's give them private for-profit schools. People want, you know, to be able to know if their foods have genetically modified organisms. So let's bury it in a, in a QR code. This is nuts. So, Patty, what, what kind of pushback is happening? What are you all doing at uh, foodandwaterwatch.org? And, and, and how, you know, is there any specific legislation coming up? Is, are there any issues around any of these things that have to do with food stamps or, or a GMO labeling or, or whatnot? where there are opportunities for citizen activism, where we can be contacting our elected representatives. Uh, is there anything happening at the state level? Uh, you know, all, what's going on with all these things? So you know, lots of, there's, there's places you can find to, to take action on food issues wherever you want, local or state or federal. When we're talking about the things we've just mentioned in terms of how USDA is running, what are we going to get from this labeling program? We do actually need Congress to rein USDA in. So, this is a final rule, unfortunately, so it's you know, moving forward. But that doesn't mean that Congress can't change it and, and change the law that, that created this final rule. And so we have a new House. Um, you know, as folks are getting to know their new, um, especially members of the House, but also members of the Senate, they need to hear that their work is not done on this. What they did in 2016 wasn't good enough, and it's not going to give people accurate labels anytime soon that are actually useful. And so Congress needs to take another shot at this and need to start hearing that. Um, so I think, you know, it's basically an election year already. They're going to be home a lot. Um, you need to start talking to them about this is the kind of stuff we're going to hold you accountable on. Yeah. Okay. Step by step. Patty, thanks so much for dropping by today. Thanks for having me. It is always great talking with you, and I really appreciate it. Patty Lavera, she is the Assistant Director of Food and Water Watch, the website Food and A-N-D, foodandwaterwatch.org. 
Hey, if you'd like more of our program, more of the where we really dig into stuff, where I go off on a rant or we talk about the news that that is really substantial. Now, I think a lot of that is making it into our program. But the deep dives, they're available to people who are supporters of our program. We put these up every week, brand new ones, and, and there's a lot of great content there. For example, our climate change, our most recent climate change one, talks about how the industrial processes that we've been engaging in over the years, from 1955 to 2010, just that one period where we can measure how much heat we threw into the atmosphere, 93% of that heat was absorbed by the oceans. If it hadn't been absorbed by the oceans, the atmosphere right now would be 97 degrees warmer. The oceans are literally keeping us alive and saving us, and yet all that heat is also killing life in the oceans. Important stuff. You've got to check it out. Thanks for supporting our program. Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do, uh, the new book by Ellen Ratner. On the line with us is Ellen Ratner herself. Hey, Ellen. Well, thank you so much. I've got to tell you that it's interesting. The president is going to be having a meeting with the incoming Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and the minority leader now of the House and the majority leader of the Senate and the minority leader of the Senate, who is Chuck Schumer. And he's going to be discussing what they should do about the closing of the government. Now, it's very interesting. They have uh, shut down all of the Smithsonian Museums, the zoo, the FCC uh, is going to be shut down. I mean, really, it's starting to get real matter to Americans. Yeah, it's starting to get very real. So we'll see what he says now. He says he's negotiating. Yeah, well, all right, let's see what he does, right? Because he changes his mind faster than you and I can say, Jack Rabbit. Yep. Amen. Uh, he also was shocked by Governor Romney, who's now going to be Senator Romney's uh, op-ed in the Washington Post. He said that he has supported Mitt Romney, and then Mitt Romney called and thanked him profusely. But now he is going after him. And the question that I, you and I can ask is, is Mitt Romney trying to make another run for president? Oh, obviously he is. He's going to try and primary uh, Trump in this next year. And frankly, I think that there's a very good chance that he'll succeed because people don't want Pence either. And he would be a formidable foe against a Democrat in 2020. And, and I think the Republicans all know this, particularly as long as the news media refuses to discuss issues. In Romney's op-ed in the Washington Post today, he came right out and he said, we like what Trump is doing. We right. like his well, tax we just cut. Don't like Trump. Right. We, yeah, we just don't like him as a person. But, we, you know, we love all these policies. These are great. But the American people don't love those policies. The American, you know, Tr Romney specifically said, we love the deregulation. Well, I'm telling you, people who live downriver from coal-fired power plants, they're not loving the fact that they got more pollution in their face now. It's just, it's crazy that the, the Republican agenda will not be called out. That's right. And the news media is talking about this op-ed, but they're not saying that he said, as you said, that he is really somebody who supporting the Republican agenda. 100%. In fact, Romney comes right out and says it in the op-ed, and nobody is paying attention to that, which nobody just blows my mind. Nobody is paying attention. It makes me wild. Yeah. Okay, speaking of people paying attention, Judicial Watch, not exactly a Democratic institution, has actually sent a FOIA request. They said that they want to see what Americans are now spending from their taxes for a special counsel's uh, um, person to watch over them and, and make sure that he's not hurt in anything kind of way and how much they're spending to do that. I mean, give me a break. They want to know what kind of security Robert Mueller has? 
That's right. And how much it's costing the American taxpayer. So why oh, don't they geez. ask some other questions about how much it's costing the American why, taxpayer? How, how, much, how much is it costing the American taxpayers for Trump's kids to go on international trips to hustle his business interests? Exactly, exactly. And none of that is being uh, foia but the judicial watch is foia and these. Yeah, yeah. They're partisan hacks. Larry Clayman. Is Larry still running that? Uh, is who? Larry Clayman still running Judicial Watch? Um, I think he is actually, yeah. You know, the one good thing that they did was when they subpoenaed uh, Cheney's uh, energy policy, uh, energy uh, committee rule, uh, you know, uh, documents, and they found that in March, April, May, and June of 2001, before 9 11, Cheney was sitting around figuring out, you know, with his buddies, figuring out which oil fields in Iraq they were going to sell to which companies once they took down Iraq. It was just mind boggling. Right. Well, I'm dying to see Vice, the new. Uh, oh, it's great. I, I, I went out to New York a couple of weeks ago and saw the, the pre screening with Adam McKay, and it was just, it's a brilliant movie. Go oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So it's I got to go see it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. And it's, and it's some of the best acting I've seen in years. Wow. Um, so the president also uh, tweeted today. Uh, his upset with McChrystal, um, but in fact, McChrystal, who was a uh, who worked under President Obama, uh, the things that he said about him were not true. And so, uh, I mean, there again is Trump tweeting out using his tweets to do whatever he can. Yep. If Trump speaks, it's probably a lie. I think you were standing next to me at that talkers convention maybe 13, 14, 15 years ago. Right. And McChrystal was standing there. And I, one of us asked him, you know, uh, how do we get out of Afghanistan? And he said, we can't kill our way out of this war. Do you recall that? Yeah, I do recall that. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. And uh, here we are in Afghanistan now. And, of course, Trump simply wants to pull out the troops. Well, that's not going to save anybody. Yeah. Amen. Nor in, in Syria, and frankly, I've been to Syria, and I've seen how bad things can get. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the only piece of good news I have for you is the New Horizons spacecraft uh, actually is now beyond Pluto and is sending back images. Uh, so that is really very good news. We finally made something that actually works. There you go. And it was NASA. It was a government agency that did it. Right. Ellen Ratner with Talk Media News. Hey, thank you so much, Ellen. Thank you. Great talking with you. And thank you for being with us today. We will be back tomorrow, same time, same bat place. And in the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. You don't just watch it on TV. You know, if, if you want it to work, if you want a functioning republic that is actually responsive to we the people, you've got to participate. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 